first hospital where there were no more cases of AIDS. And uh, what a testimony to the great work that they're doing. And Father, we, we pray that you would uh, bless, continue to advance the mission of the hospital, uh, acting in your name, uh, be in your hands and feet out there in Africa. And Father, we pray that as they are doing their hospital work and providing medicine and giving treatment to these people, Lord, may they also be sharing the love and the good news message about Jesus Christ. May, it, may that song of the, the medical care and the gospel, may it go forth like music and lyrics, just in combination, in tandem, to be a powerful uh, witnessing tool to reach those people there in Africa. And now, Father, looking back to here toward us right now, we pray that as your word goes out, may we listen to it, may we understand it. God, may you give us illumination and help us to figure out how we're going to put into practice uh, these words that you have put on the page for us in your holy word, the Bible. Help us to be attentive and to be uh, ready to hear and to do what you want us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, there is a pastor in Texas, in Dallas, Texas, where all things are big. Uh, I thought about lighting a fire for us men. The only thing I could think of was barbecue. Like, let's just get a barbecue going. That'd be lighting a good fire. Uh, but in Texas, of course, they got good barbecue. And in the Dallas area, there is a church of about 30,000 people. It's called Gateway Church. And it's pastored by this wonderful guy. We got to meet him one time. He came to our church in Southern California. His name is Robert Morris. And back in the 80s when uh, he was a younger man, he was a new preacher. He was on fire. And he got invited to go to a pastor's conference in the Philippines. So out there in East Asia, in the Pacific. And he was invited to this pastor's conference. And so one night he's speaking and the place where the church was gathering with all the pastors was under this tin roof. And if you've ever been in the third world countries where there's a tin roof and it's tropical, believe me, when the rain starts, you hear it. I mean, it just takes over the room. We were in Costa Rica, lived there for eight months, and we had one of those hot tin roofs, I guess is what you call it. And when the rain came, it, you couldn't hardly hear each other speak. So he is now speaking, and it's one of these evenings, and Robert Morris didn't know about it because he's only like the second time that, or the second night that he's in country in the Philippines, so he had no idea. But that area of the country, the Philippines, was going through this really long drought, and all the Christians had been praying fervently for God to end the drought and send the rain. And so now Robert Morris is preaching. And while he is preaching, it just began to downpour, this deluge, this cloudburst of rain, and it was filling the room, and it was so loud under that tin roof that nobody could hear Robert Morris while he was speaking. And so he was this young, fiery preacher, and he'd heard about God's people and the Bible and other places, heroes of old that had prayed about rain, whether for God to start the rain or for God to stop the rain. And so he thought he'd exercise his faith in a big way, and he says, you know what? Folks, we're going to ask the Lord to stop the rain right now. And he said, Lord, in Jesus' name, stop, stop the rain. He noticed that nobody was praying along with him at the time. And uh, so he did that. And in answer to his prayer, it just started raining harder and louder. And so he said, okay, we're going to pray one more time. Lord, in Jesus' name, please stop the rain. And it rained even harder, and the cloudburst was coming. So it was like God was answering the prayers, but not his prayer. 
<laughs> it was another person's prayer. And finally, he just got, he just got a little uh, uh, frustrated enough, and he said, he said, the Lord gave him a thought, and he said, let's just thank God for the rain right now. So he did that, and the idea was, if you can't beat God, join him, right? Uh, you see, sometimes uh, we're filled with zeal when we have these prayers. We're trying to ask God to do something, but we also need to pray. When we pray, we need to have wisdom and not just the zeal, right? Well, we are in a series, as Lisa said, uh, called On Fire, about the early followers of Jesus, this first generation of Christ followers from the time that Jesus was on the Mount of Olives and he ascended up into heaven and he told them to go back into Jerusalem, wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. They did. The church was born that day on the day of Pentecost, and they went from 120 followers to 3,000 people were baptized on that day. They formed a new church community, and the next uh, few weeks and months, Peter and John are now going as a team, two by two. They're going into the temple area, and there's this man who's lame from birth, and he was a beggar. And they healed him in Jesus' name, and they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man did, and that miracle drew a huge crowd in the temple area. And in the temple area, of course, that uh, brought the opposition because the priests and the Sadducees who were in charge of the whole temple area, they were bothered by this crowd that was not following them anymore. They were following these new people of the way, these new people that were following Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. And so the authorities, they arrested Peter and John, they threw him into jail, and last week we saw that this trial, that they had been brought before the Jewish high council, and they, they basically told Peter and John, you guys just need to shut up. You need to stop speaking the name of Jesus, you need to stop teaching in his name, you need to stop riling up the people, and you need to stop making us feel guilty because we crucified this guy. So basically was what their message was. And of course, Peter and John, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with courage and boldness. And instead of saying, yes, sir, we won't say anymore, you know, like, like down and submissive uh, because of the threat of violence or persecution, they were bold. In fact, Peter emphatically declared the gospel in one verse in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. We saw that last week. Peter said, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name, no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved, only through Jesus. So there's many people searching for God, but Jesus said that he is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And Peter reiterates that salvation is found in no one else. And then in response to the threat, saying basically, guys need to shut up and stop teaching in Jesus' name, Peter says, well, guys, let me ask you a question. Who do you think we should follow more? Who do you think we should listen to more, you or God? And they said, because we cannot stop speaking about the things that we have seen and heard. And so Peter and John say, we're not going to shut up. We're going to keep doing what we do. You do what you need to do, and we'll do what we need to do. And so they left the, the, the Jewish high council. They let him go, threatening that if you keep this up, it's going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. Hey, fine, whatever. So I don't know what whatever is in Aramaic, but I think Peter said that under his breath when he was walking out. So, so now Peter and John, they're walking out. They're released from, from jail and from this court 
uh, situation, and they go back to the church. They go back to their, their people, the family of God, and they're telling them what happened. And we begin here in verse 23. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. If the, what we call the pew Bibles or the black Bibles that are in the racks in front of you, it's on page 772. If you want to find it there, easy way to find that. So, verse 23, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Here's what happened, guys. And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Now, isn't that amazing? What is the first response of God's people when they heard the news that Peter and John were getting persecuted, they got arrested, they were threatened never to speak again in Jesus' name. What did they do first? Together, as God's family, they went to God in prayer. It's interesting. They went to God in prayer first. I, I wish I could say I always did that. I don't know about you. But whenever sometimes when I face a problem or a crisis or a bill comes due, or there's something going wrong in my life, sometimes prayer is almost the last thing I do. Like if you can't do anything else, if nothing else works after plan A and plan B and plan C and plan D fall flat on my face, then I say, oh, maybe I should pray. I remember our son Tyler a couple times in the car. We were talking about family life and problems and struggles we were going through, and finally Tyler more than once, said, well, mom and dad, why don't we just stop and pray? And we're like, ha oh, thank you, son. You're exactly right. That's what we should do. That's one reason why he's a youth pastor right now, because he's following the Lord's leading in his life. So they went to God in prayer first. They had a threat. They had a problem, and they went to God in prayer first. Now, let's look at this prayer that this early church, this community of faith, how did they pray? And as we're reading how they were praying, I want you to like think in your mind, this is how they prayed back in the first generation of Christ followers. What about us? How do we pray? What are some of the prayers that we pray compared to what they prayed back then? So we go to their prayer in verse 24. They start off by addressing the Lord and they say, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, Lord, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor, King David, your servant, saying. So they, they open this prayer and they're acknowledging God for who he is. They were praising God. They were saying that God is the sovereign Lord. When I first remember reading Sovereign Lord, when, you, when you're going through the Bible and reading it, when you come to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel in the Old Testament, he was one of the prophets. Ezekiel was, one of, was a priest in Jerusalem. The Babylonians had come in, they invaded Israel, and they took many Israelites off to the Babylonian Empire, hundreds of miles away in exile. Exile, or Ezekiel, sounds like exile, doesn't it? Ezekiel is one of those people that were exiled. And he is now being prompted by God through his Holy Spirit to prophesy to God's people. And a lot of times when Ezekiel dressed the Lord, he said, Sovereign Lord. It's interesting that Ezekiel would say, Sovereign Lord, while living as an exile, as a prisoner in a foreign country. And I think the reason why Ezekiel would say, Sovereign Lord, was he saying, Lord, even though it looks like the Babylonians are in charge, even though we are, are prisoners and we're weak and we're oppressed, and it's going to be a long time before we ever get to go back to the Holy Land, 
even though this is true, Lord, we acknowledge that, that even if King Nebuchadnezzar is, quote, on the throne in Babylon, Lord, you are sovereign over all. You're the one who's really in charge. You're the creator of heaven and earth. You made everything, and everything ultimately is under your control. And so they acknowledge, this early church acknowledged, God, even though the, high, the Jewish high council is against us, and it sort of looks like they're in charge, and we can't do much about it to thwart them physically or politically, God, we recognize you're the one who's ultimately in charge. So they praise God. Number two, they told God their specific problem. And now they're quoting what King David said way back in the Psalms, this Hebrew songbook, the second psalm in the book, King David is talking, and, and he's talking about this, this uh, opposition, this war that is going on between the kings of the earth and God himself. And it says, why do the nations rage? Why do the people waste their time with their futile plans? The kings of the earth are prepared for battle. The rulers are gathered together. The rulers of the earth, they're gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed one. His anointed one is another way of saying Messiah or Savior or Jesus. And so he said, the kings of the earth, a thousand years before the church is going through this persecution, David is writing a thousand years before, may have even been in the same city, and David said, the kings of the earth are raging. They are rebelling against God's authority. When Jesus came in to bring the kingdom of God and the kings of this earth are saying, we don't want the kingdom of God. We want our kingdom because we don't want to have to submit our authority to the authority of the Lord Jesus. And so this, there's this spiritual battle that's going on. There's this rebellion that's taking place against the Lord. They didn't want this new ruler, Jesus, coming to rule. Satan was against it. And he's now Satan is now prompting this Jewish high council to oppose the early church in the kingdom of God. And since Peter and all the apostles are proclaiming Jesus as the reigning, as the living Messiah, these rulers, all they want to do is silence them. They want to snuff them out. They want to just suffocate their, their movement. And I think the early followers of Jesus are, are saying to God in this prayer, Lord, do you see how these rulers are opposing you and your church and your people here? God, you knew it would happen. You knew because... A thousand years ago, you prophesied it in the psalm that you inspired King David to write. You knew this day was coming. And they even said that. They even say in verse 27, they say, That is what has happened here in this city. For Herod Antipas and Pontius Pilate the governor and the Gentiles and the people of Israel, they're all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. In fact, everything they did... Everything they did, the trial, the, the three Jewish trials, the three Gentile trials that, that were done against Jesus, his scourging, his whipping, his crucifixion, his execution by a Roman government, that was all done according to the four plan and knowledge of God. And, and, the, and the, the church is now praying to God saying, everything that happened, happened according to your eternal will and plan. They realize, and, and this is what I want to say, if you, if you are a group of Christ followers, and if you are going through a time of persecution, there are two things. If you're going through persecution, there's at least two things that make it better than it is. I'm not saying persecution is easy. I'm not even saying, hey, let's all jump into some persecution. It'll be fun. I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying that if we are going through opposition and persecution, it's a lot easier to handle, first of all, if we're going through it together. 
Persecution is extremely difficult to go through if you're isolated by yourself. But it's a lot better if we go through it together. And we realize that this is, this is something that God is allowing us to happen together. And then the second point is it's a lot easier to go through hard times and persecution if we believe that, that God is in charge and God is allowing this to happen for a reason because God has some kind of plan that he's working out. And then, like the Bible says, for God works all things together for good uh, to them who loves God and are called according to his purpose. God doesn't say all things that happen are good. God says that he works all things together for good. And so even this persecution doesn't seem like a good thing, but God is going to work it out together for good. So this is this prayer of the early church. God, you're in charge. We have this opposition. You knew this opposition was coming. You prophesied it about a thousand years ago. And so, God, uh, we know that, that whatever's happening to us, you're allowing it, and you're allowing it for a reason. Lord, we want to understand. And so I want to contrast that. That's what the early church is praying in the first century, about 35 years after uh, Christ was born. Now we, we go to the 21st century. I don't know if you're in a life group or if you've been in churches or if you've been in groups where they have prayer meetings. Uh, most of the time when Lisa and I, we go to a life group or we lead one, we usually wait until the end of the meeting, right? We have some food and we talk and we, we build a friendship. We have some kind of a Bible study. We talk about how we're going to apply God's word in our lives. And then at the end, it says, does anybody have any prayer requests, right? Now, when when you come to that time of prayer request, what is that that you normally hear? What do people normally bring up in a time of prayer? Or what do you want to see God do in your life? Most of the time, honestly, what I see is somebody says, well, let's pray for so-and-so. Let's pray for me. I'm sick. Let's pray for my friend or my family member. They're sick or they're having surgery or they're praying for healing. So praying for somebody who's sick for healing is a common prayer request. Praying for somebody who maybe is in financial hard times and needs help, that's a prayer request. Praying for somebody who's got a relationship problem. Oh my gosh, husband and wife are, are at each other's throats and they're, they're separated, or a child-parent relationship is in jeopardy and now there's family troubles. Uh, relationship problems, that's a common prayer request. So this is what we pray about. What did the early church pray about? And I just wanted to think, that's what we pray about. What did they pray about? So they're, they're praying, God, we're going through all this. Now what are they going to ask God to do? Because we haven't even heard a request yet, which I think is really interesting. Most of the time I go, God, I'm just going to skip all the other stuff, and here's my request. <laughs> and, and according to the prayers of these people, they say, no, they're acknowledging who God is. They're saying, here's our circumstance Here's what we're going through, God. We're letting you know we recognize that you're in this with us. For some reason, we don't quite understand what it is. And now we come to the actual prayer request. And so they say in verse 29, And now, O Lord, so here's what they're asking God to do. Now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Wow. What were they asking God to do? God, we're going through this persecution. What we want you to do is, is give us even more boldness so that we can preach your word to these people. So even though they threatened us to never speak or teach again in the name of Jesus, we're going the opposite way. God, we're asking you to give us more boldness in preaching your word. So they were not. Here's, here's the other thing. Here's what they did not pray. 
They did not pray for God to give them relief from their enemies. If it were me and it were my prayer, I would say, God, you see the opposition that we have. Would you just sick them? Would you just get them? Would you just zap them with your heavenly lightning bolt and take them out so that we don't have this kind of opposition and persecution anymore? Lord, would you do that for us? In Je- you know, and you think, well, if two or three are, are agreed on anything in Jesus' name, it will be done for them. I'm going to misapply that scripture because this is what I want God to do, right? So we do all that, and, and it's opposite of what the early church was doing. So what are we learning from them? One of the things we're learning is it's more important for them that the kingdom of God advance than for God to give them personal protection and safety. I mean, that's, that, that's something that is, is hard for us to grasp. They were more interested in God and, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as, as it is in heaven. Whether that results in my personal safety and security or not, that's a, that's a sidebar issue. I'm not going to pray for that. I'm just going to pray, Lord, glorify your name, grow your church, build your kingdom, I want to be part of that, so Lord, give us boldness so that we can boldly go out and preach the word in Jesus' name. So it's, it's pretty amazing what they were praying. And then they also said in verse 30, they're asking for miracles. They're asking for God to continue to, to pour out his miracles. They said, and Lord, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Lord, just like you healed that man in the temple, the whole reason why Peter and John got arrested, the beginning, like why did that happen? Well, that started with this healing that they did in Jesus' name. The miracle gathered a crowd of people. Lord, we want you to do more miracles so those signs, miraculous signs, can point people to the truth of who Jesus is so we can gather another crowd so we can share with them the good news about Jesus. If that's going to cause opposition, Lord, that's not, that's not the issue with us. We just want you to give us boldness in your preaching. And so how did God answer this prayer? This is amazing. How did God answer their prayer in a big way? Because it says in verse 31, after this prayer... The meeting place shook. Now, I'm not sure if they were uh, meeting on the top of the San Andreas Fault or not, but God was pouring out an earthquake miracle here. The meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they were, here's the other thing you, you want to ask in the book of Acts in the early church, when God's people were filled with the Holy Spirit, what were they doing? It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, And they went out and preached the word of God with boldness. So they were learning firsthand. This is one thing I I love about this group of people. They were learning firsthand that the kingdom of God is not going to be stopped by these religious and political powers. The kingdom of God was not going to be thwarted by the Jewish high council. The kingdom of God would be forcefully advancing, as, as Jesus says in Matthew 11, The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and violent men oppose it. That the kingdom of God is not going to go forward without a struggle, but in that struggle, the opposition was not going to be able to stop it. I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So they asked God for his spirit. They asked God for more boldness. They asked God for more miracles so that they could continually continue to advance the kingdom. And, of course, God answers their prayer. And Luke is just is telling this story. It's pretty amazing. Now, right, what happens right now 
is Luke then takes a pause. And I specifically just stop there for a moment. Like, what is a pause? A pause is like, okay, there's all this action going on in the church out there. I want to take a pause because now Luke says, time out. I want you to see, besides what's going on out in, the, out in Jerusalem, what is the church like? So now when the church actually gathers together and they have their meetings, what is that like? What is their atmosphere? What are, what are they doing together when they're meeting together? Because it says, the Lord was adding to their number daily those who are being saved. In this particular time period, over 100 people a day, 100 people a day on average. This, probably what's in this room right now, this number of people every day were the number of people that were being added to the church. So it's pretty awesome. So why was that happening? And, it, and it's part, part of the reason that was happening was because of the way they were living, they were doing life together in their community of faith. And so it says in verse 42, it says, all the believers were of one heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. They shared everything they had. They shared everything they had. These early believers, church, they were generous with their material goods with one another. And that's why Luke even says later on in verse 34, he says, and they were no needy persons among them. No needy persons among them. Can you imagine in a church of 10,000 people not to have even one person who, who was a needy person among them? That is amazing. They had the unity. They had this family life. They cared for each other. The, the, it says in the Bible in Psalm 133, it, God says how good, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like Oil being poured off on Aaron's beard, anointing the high priest was the picture of that. And, in, and then it says, when there's unity among God's people, God therefore commands a blessing. So unity is going to be blessed by God. They were of one heart. They were of one mind. They were generous toward each other. And then it says in verse 43, and the apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's great favor was upon them all. So people were sharing people. There was no poverty among them, it says, God's people. Some people who owned land, it doesn't say everybody was a property owner. It just says some people who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money to the apostles, and they gave to the others who had a need. So you see this spontaneous, voluntary generosity going on among God's people to meet the needs. Now, back in 1985... Lisa and I were one year married, so you can do the math of when we got married, and uh, we were uh, very young at the time, and I was still in college uh, finishing up my education. Lisa had just graduated from college. She was now teaching at a Christian school, and you can imagine the Christian school teacher's salary for an elementary teacher was just like lots of bucks, right? Uh, not, and it was, uh, so we were kind of struggling financially, and and uh, Lisa had this car, a really cool car, actually. Uh, it was a 1965 Mustang, and it was a cool car, but uh, we couldn't afford to keep it up, and it was 20 years old at the time, so we decided to sell that car, and we got this other car. <laughs> we got ourselves a lemon, and the car was uh, a beater. It was a 1979 Ford Mustang. Now, I'm driving a Ford today, and it's a newer car, 
And it's a lot better car in 2007, the one that I drive, than 1979. That was not a good year for Detroit. That was not a good year for a Ford. And that car was a dog. It had no power, no gas mileage, and it was breaking down all the time. And Lisa and I were at this um, high school meeting. Uh, not that we were in high school, but we were volunteer teachers in the high school ministry. This high school ministry was so big at the time that they had 200 kids that were coming every week to, the, to this high school meeting on Sunday morning. And what the youth pastor would do is he'd have a big meeting with everybody together for a few minutes, and then we'd break up by, by, class si- or by classes into four different quadrants. So the freshmen would go in one corner and the sophomores in another corner and the juniors and the seniors. We were teaching the sophomores at the time. It was a lot of fun. We had a lot of good memories from that and got our feet wet doing ministry. And it was really cool. So uh, during the week, we would gather together with the rest of the high school teachers and the volunteer leaders. And we'd have this meeting and we'd go over the lesson plans for what we're going to be teaching the following Sunday. And at the end of that meeting, the pastor got up and said, you know, we're going to pray together. And I just feel led, uh, I was reading Acts chapter 4, and I remember where the, where the scripture says that there were no needy persons among them. And what I really want to find out is in this group of people, and there are probably 15 or 20 of us, is there anybody here who has a need? Because as a church, as, a, as this community right here, even the people in this room, we want to be able to meet that need. And Lisa and I both knew that our car was broken down, but it, we were like, uh, <clears throat> uh, don't say anything, don't say anything. You don't say anything. I'm not saying anything. And uh, kind of under our breath, elbowing each other. We had this attitude, and uh, the attitude that we had at the time toward uh, admitting need or asking for prayer, we kind of had this John Wayne attitude. Now, if you guys remember who John Wayne is, and I think we have a little slide of him, John Wayne, of course, is the Duke. John Wayne is the guy that says, saddle your own Bronx. John Wayne is the guy who says, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You solve your own problems. You don't admit when you have a need. You don't admit that because that's a sign of weakness. So, you know, we sort of had the John Wayne mentality. And finally, we didn't say anything. Nobody else did. And the pastor finally said, you know what? I'm convinced that there is somebody here who has a need, and we can meet that need tonight. But somebody's going to have to to fess up and say what that need is. And so there was enough conviction, and and finally I raised my hand, and I said, Yeah, Lisa and I, we've got our car broken down, and and we're able to repair it. We can pay for it uh, when we get our next paycheck. But right now we're going to be about a week without a car, and uh, so we don't have a way to get around. And... Uh, some other guy who was teaching another class, I think he was teaching juniors, his name was Kevin, and Kevin raises his hand and says, hey, I got a car, why don't you guys drive my car for a week? And uh, we were like, wow, that's amazing. And he had this old Oldsmobile Cutlass, I knew he, his car was in the parking lot, it was a cool car too, I was like, nice. So, so uh, I said, ah, uh, oh, no, Kevin, we couldn't do that. What, do, what would you drive? If you let us borrow your car for a week, what are you going to drive? And he says, oh, I, I got a motorcycle. And to be honest, I'd rather ride that motorcycle. And, and I was like, all right, cool. So we, we just swallowed our pride and we said, sure, that would be great. Thank you so much. So we borrow his car and we're allowed to uh, drive it for a week. And he's now on his motorcycle. And unfortunately, the time we met was in February. And this was back in the 1980s when they actually did have rain in Southern California. And uh, the next day began a three-day rainstorm. 
And the poor guy, I can just picture him on his motorcycle, you know, his helmet's got water splashing. And, uh, but he made that sacrifice for us because he wanted to help us, because we were, we were a team together. We were doing ministry together. We were like family, and we cared for each other. And to me, that was just an example of, a, a small example of what this early church was doing for each other. They were generous toward each other. Now, I want to say one thing before we close. That the, about their generosity and about their giving. And I want to say what it is not. Because you can read this passage, and if you look at it a certain way, and you're a little skeptical and cynical, you could say like, wow, what we're seeing here in the early church, the way people gave their money, and they're selling property, and turning it over to the apostles' feet, and they're distributing it. It's like, wow, I guess there's no more private property, huh? I guess everybody just turns in your car keys and your house keys to the church leaders when you join the church. Is that what it's like? I mean, that sounds like a cult to me, or it sounds like early communism or something to me. I want to say something that that's not what was happening in the early church. It, was the, it wasn't that way at all. In fact, this is in your bulletin, and you may want to fill in these blanks. First of all, what they were displaying was generosity, but it was not communism. How do we know that? First of all, number one, the giving was voluntary. The giving was voluntary. There was, there was no forced giving, giving up of your possessions. It was their choice whether they wanted to give or, or not give, just as it is in this church today. So the giving was voluntary. Number two, the giving was not a requirement to be part of the church. You didn't have to give money. In other words, oh, you want me to join the church? Well, okay, you, we've got monthly dues or we've got membership fees or we've got anything like that. We don't have that at this church. They did not have that at that church. Giving was not a requirement. You want to be, you want to sit here in church today does not require that you give any money at all. In fact, we'd rather just have this, this service be a gift to you. So the giving was not a requirement to be part of the church. And number three, the giving that they were doing, it did not involve all private property. Not everybody had to sell all their property and give it to the church. It was the spontaneous, voluntary generosity of a certain number of people who decided that they were going to give in order to meet a need. So it's not communism. It was not a cult. It was completely voluntary and spontaneous generosity. So we got to get that clear. So let's talk about action points for us today. Because we've been talking about what happened in the early church in the first century in Jerusalem. But what can we do? How do we imitate their faith that they were showing to us down through the centuries? How can we imitate that kind of faith today as God's people? Well, number one, when a problem arises, when a problem arises, pray first. Pray first. Don't pray last. Don't pray as the last resort. Don't think of all the ways you can solve your crisis or your problem. Go to the Lord in prayer first. Sometimes the, it says in James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And he will give wisdom to you generously, to all, without finding fault. Maybe God has a way where there seems to be no way. Just like the song says, right? God can find a way where there seems to be no way. God can give you wisdom on how to solve that problem that you may never come up with on your own human wisdom. So when a problem arises, pray first. And then secondly, when the church has a need and the church is growing, be generous. Be generous, you know? Uh, let God uh, tap you on the shoulder and be generous with what you have because when we come into God's family, 
and we all belong to the kingdom of God together, and we're all part of this local church. Family is to take care of family. And the, the attitude in the kingdom of God is not me and mine. The attitude has to be we and us. And it has to be like those early church people prayed, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, we want your kingdom to grow and expand. We want people to know about the love of our Savior Jesus. We want them to know that. And in other words, it's not about my safety. It's not about my security. It's not about my bank account. It's about growing the kingdom of God. And I want to seek first your kingdom. And that includes what I do with my money. So when a problem arises, pray first. And when the church has a need and it's growing, be generous. I think we can all put that into practice. It's pretty simple to talk about, right? Yeah, yeah, pray first. Easy to, easy to talk about. I wrote it down in the bulletin. I have the outline, you know. It's easy to talk about, but it's pretty hard to do. The way I used to put it was it's instant oatmeal to talk about, but it's brain surgery to do. You know, it's not, it's not that easy to put into practice. When a problem arises, pray first or to be generous. But I tell you, church, if we actually did think this way, if we prayed this way, if we acted this way, if we were generous this way, and if we shared Jesus this boldly like they were doing in the early community of faith there in Jerusalem, I believe that there would be no stopping us. We would be a lighthouse. We would be a shining lighthouse to this community. And the kingdom of gold, the kingdom of God would go forth in boldness and in power, and we would be shining the love of Jesus brightly in this community. And they would see our love and courage. They would see our commitment to God. And maybe like the Jewish high council looked at Peter and John, maybe they would say that about us. Wow, they took note that these people had been with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask you like the early disciples did. We say, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray according to your will. Lord, we ask you to reveal to us what is it that you want us to do. Lord, we don't want to just settle for asking you to bless what we're doing. We're asking you to reveal to us what you're doing and how can we join you in that kind of work. Lord, help us to imitate what we've seen in these early, this early community of faith, how much they cared for each other, how, met, how much they met each other's needs. And as we do that, Lord, bless us as a congregation. And Lord, help our community Continue to attract those who might want to just join your family, who might get interested in you because they see genuine love and compassion and grace in our lives. Lord, all these things we lift up to you and we ask in the victorious name of Jesus, our leader and our king, and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Um, we're going to close the service now. Uh, I know it's a little after 12.05. I know people are probably hungry and you got kids to take care of. So uh, I'm just going to uh, say a benediction over us. My favorite one, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and may the love of God and may the fellowship that we enjoy together, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, may it be with us all. And as we go out, may we remember it's all about Him and it's about His kingdom. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.
We believe. 